1: He is known as the leader of the Nation of Islam. He is Louis Farrakhan. With well, some insights into not just Louis Farrakhan, the man, but the Nation of Islam, one of the nation's leading experts in this arena. He is an apologist Dr. Jerry Buckner. Many KFAX listeners know him best as the host of the widely popular Contending for the Faith broadcast, Heard Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. He is a pastor, counselor, lecturer, as we mentioned, an expert in the arena of cults, and most notably, the Nation of Islam. And Dr. Buckner, great to have you back on Lifeline.
2: Brother Craig, it's always a blessing to be on your program, and thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity to uh, be a part of the blessing today.
1: You and I first met, my goodness, it's probably upwards of uh, 15, 20 years ago when uh, Louis Farrakhan at the time, as part of the Nation of Islam, was putting together what was then termed the Million Man March on the Walt Mall in Washington, D.C. And so some folks might be familiar with Louis Farrakhan around the periphery or the Nation of Islam. Before we get into some of the rhetoric, maybe you can start by giving us some perspective on the history of the Nation of Islam.
2: Oh, thank you so much. Well, the the history of the Nation of Islam started back in the 1930s. There was a leader by the name of Wallace D. Ford who uh, became the incarnation of God, as they say. And he uh, came to Detroit, Michigan, and had a program of uh, hate as well as uh, you know, dealing with the issues of racism and ministering to the poor people and the poor blacks. And he mentored uh, Elijah Muhammad, who uh, became his protégé and follower as well. And then he uh, influenced uh, Malcolm X, who was known as Malcolm Little. And then he influenced uh, Louis Farrakhan. So that's pretty much the history. And again, they started in Detroit in the 1930s and uh, really was based upon... Uh, using the Quran as well as the Bible and they said the Bible has been tampered with and it's uh, correct in as far as it doesn't contradict the Quran so but the nation of Islam is a cult because a cult is defined theologically and sociologically theologically it simply means anyone who denies that Jesus Christ is God in human form and it's a cult Uh, sociologically when it uh, separates people from their families, uh, their finances, their uh, friends uh, who are Christians and it just starts to dominate them theologically and uh, sociologically. So the nation of Islam is a cult because they deny that Jesus Christ is God in human form and the only Savior of the world and they basically say that uh, Wallace D. Ford is the incarnation of uh, of uh... god in on the earth at that time and so and wallace d Fard was actually a white man who uh... really came forth as uh, uh... ministering to the black community at the time of the depression when a lot of uh, blacks were looking for a sense of hope and the church was missing and this is the thing that's happening today the church is missing the thing that is going on today at berkeley is the results of uh, the failure of the church to do its job. And when you see uh, Farrakhan coming into the community and speaking at churches and speaking at the University of Berkeley uh, upcoming event, it, it really, you know, we look at the Jews and we say, man, it's great that uh, someone is, is stepping up to the plate and speaking up. But it should be the churches in the the Berkeley area and the whole Bay Area coming together and saying we're not going to stand for this. A guy who's coming into the community who uh, perpetuates not only a racism, but says that uh, the white man is the devil and goes forth to say negative things and racist things about Jews. And so we're, we're not against at all uh, you know, free speech and, you know, schools are built upon that where they talk about and help the students to learn about uh, open differences and opinions and whether it's related to politics, religion, or philosophy, or psychology and science and debates. But when free speech carries with it hate and it carries with it separatism, which the Nation of Islam teaches then someone has to step up, and that should be the church. And because the church has failed to do it, it's a problem. And one other note, uh, Craig, I want to say that uh, there is no difference between bringing in the Ku Klux Klan and bringing in uh, Louis Farrakhan because they both teach hate, they both teach separatism, and they both teach uh, superiority of their own race. So we really got a serious problem here.
1: I'm curious, looking at some of the history, particularly from a theological standpoint of the teachings of the Nation of Islam, Dr. Buckner, it almost seems like it, it it's a bit of a hybrid of some aspects, for convenience sake, of Christianity, some aspects more so for convenience sake of the teachings of Islam, and then there's this weird dynamic in here that, for example, you don't find this in any of the, the five pillars of the faith, so-called with Islam, but it certainly is very apparent within the teaching of the Nation of Islam that talks about at one time the earth and moon being the same, and this was created by a mad scientist of the sky. Explain to us a little bit about some of the theology behind this religion.
2: Yes, well, yes, that's very true. There, um, The Nation of Islam is basically a religion based upon People looking for a sense of identity and belonging. And because the church has not developed a sense of addressing racism and dealing with the issues of a sense of belonging and identity, uh, the, the Nation of Islam, and especially Louis Farrakhan, has come forth with this sort of thing. But uh, the teachings of the Nation of Islam is based upon uh, solely and wholly upon a teaching. Of the Yakub myth, and it's a basic teaching in their belief system, is that Yakub myth. Yakub was one of the Council of twenty-four black uh, scientists, and he rebelled against Allah and the Council, causing havoc. And he created the white race as a race of devils to strike back at the black race. And Elijah Muhammad said that the black people are not sinners, but that the white man is at fault for their problems. So this whole Yakub myth was a thing that the nation of Islam started to develop, because once you uh, destroy the belief in the validity and historicity and authenticity of the Bible, which it says God created man in his image and in his likeness, you have to come up with something else like some type of myth, and this is what they came up with. And it's just uh, ludicrous, but also it's demonic and it's an abominable when you think about it.
1: This has also been used as a strong means to, as we suggested in our introductory remarks this afternoon, Dr. Buckner, to, to drive a very strong wedge between the races. Educate us, if you would, a little bit of some of the nature of the teachings of the nation of Islam, where perhaps in a Post environment, following many of the laws that we saw of, of separation of blacks and whites on the heels of the Emancipation Proclamation of the late 1800s, um, this seems to be a religion that very much teaches continuance of separation of the races, does it not?
2: Yes, it does. Uh, the problem with the Nation of Islam, like all racist groups, they uh, build their whole foundation upon. Uh, emphasizing uh, race over grace. They emphasize uh, physical pigmentation over biblical revelation. They emphasize the issue of skin over sin. And the only color that God is concerned about, that the Bible talks about, is the color red, and that's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all our sins. And the only race that God really emphasizes is uh, running the race of faith. And so when it comes to the Nation of Islam, because of this Yaqub myth that was the foundation of their teaching, they have to live with that, the damnable teaching. And so they're stuck with it, and they have to say that the blacks are, uh, you know, superior to the white man, and that the white man is the devil, and the Jews are, you know, the workers of Satan, and that sort of thing. Uh, as well, you know, one time I was on Issues, etc., and they uh, interviewed me, and then about five or six uh, members of the Nation of Islam uh, came on the air, and, and I was letting them know that, you know, uh, the Bible teaches against racism. It teaches against separatism. It teaches against the Yaakov myth, and on and on and on. And then I also told them that, you know, the only way that we are going to get into the kingdom of God is to be a people that love our enemies and pray for them that despitefully use us. If we don't do that, then Jesus said through John, if we hate our brothers, there is no eternal life in us. So it's a dangerous thing to hate one another, and as well as to separate yourself from one another, because the Bible says you cannot enter into the kingdom of God hating
1: your brother. If you've just joined our conversation on this edition of Lifeline, a visit with Dr. Jerry Buckner. He's a well-known Bay Area apologist and also host of Contending for the Faith, heard Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. When we come back, understanding more about the teachings of Islam and just to whom does this message resonate. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: And welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts, along with our very special guest today, he is one of the Bay Area's, if not the nation's, premier Christian apologists. He hosts his own radio program, in fact, right here on KFAX, Saturday evenings at 7 p.m., called Contending for the Faith. He is a pastor, counselor, lecturer, and expert on the cults. He's Dr. Jerry Buckner. We're talking about Louis Farrakhan, a bit of a shadowy figure who has been the head of the Nation of Islam for some 30 years now, and as much as this religion seems to appeal to an interesting hybrid of individuals, at least from a theological standpoint, Dr. Buckner, I'm curious, when you drill down to some of the bizarreness of the teachings, again, this notion that it's a convenient hybrid of the teachings of Islam, Islam, the, some of the precepts of Christianity, and then a bit of, well, in fact, a solid bit of science fiction thrown in. When you put all of this together, to whom ultimately does a message like this resonate?
2: Well, that's very true. I think that uh, a message like this resonates, uh, and it's, uh, it really has its influences, uh, particularly upon the uh, black community and those who are ignorant of the Word of God. You know, Hosea tells us that uh, people are destroyed. The people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's not bad being ignorant. It's only bad when you want to stay ignorant. And I think that happens is that when uh, the black community is not, and I'm not saying all, but a large segment I, because I'm out there doing teaching in churches and I'm uh, pastoring pastors, and one thing that I've learned is that the, uh, many of the black churches, a lot of them don't know anything about the essential doctrines. Malcolm X he used to go uh, in front of the black churches after uh, you know they would get out of service around one o 'clock and he would always stand outside the churches and he would uh, say, well, "What did you learn today? What did you get out of the message and many of the members would say, "You know we uh, don 't uh, know what the message was that much about, but he sure did preach because they were so much into the emotions and Malcolm X used to say, come on over to the mosque and we'll teach you some things. And he said that he got most of his recruits from uh, ignorant blacks who never learned anything in the black church. And I think that that's very true, not only then, that Malcolm X said, but today as well. Uh, We have a famine in the land regarding the word of God, that people are ignorant regarding the truth of the word of God. And I Think that uh, when you think about Louis Farrakhan, and I think the name fits him well. Farrakhan, he is conning the people, and Farrakhan uh, not only gets to blacks who are ignorant of the word of God, and he'll quote the word of God, but he also quote the Quran. But he also addresses the issue of racism because the attraction to the Nation of Islam is huge, and and the principles of those attractions is not only people being ignorant towards the essential doctrines, which is the major issue, but also that Louis Farrakhan addresses racism and oppression, uh, and a lot of the churches fail to uh, do that, and especially the white churches. And then a tremendous influence that he has on the black community by which he goes in and he influences the young black men who never had strong black role models in their lives and and Farrakhan comes in and he, he preys on young black men who have not had strong role models and wrong, strong fathers in their lives. And he comes in and adopts them like a surrogate father and mentors them. And 80% of the people in the church, the black churches today, is composed of uh, black women. And in the uh, mosque, the black mosque, 80% of the people there are black men. So he's been very successful in reaching those who are ignorant of uh, of the Word of God, as well as reaching those who are desiring uh, a Father figure. And this is a real wake-up call for the Church that we get out there and reach men because they evangelistically are out there with their bean pies and their bow ties, but it's all a big lie because they're doing it in the name of Satan, really, because it's not of Christ And so our job as Christians is to not only get out there and evangelize, but to minister to the total person and to also give people the essential doctrines, which people are starving for and people don't know. When I go to churches and do teachings on the doctrine of the Trinity and the deity of Christ, they're just ignorant in these areas, and I can see why the cults and the nation of Islam is getting them.
1: All right, let's 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 drill down on a couple of points here. First, I think there are aspects of some of his teachings insofar as it relates to a sense of self-respect, self-responsibility, self-reliance that I think can be good and be healthy. Certainly, those sorts of teachings ought to be taught to, to everyone in the country, regardless of socioeconomic status or race. That said, you spoke earlier of this notion of it kind of being a hybrid of, of false teachings, uh, of Islam, uh, a mixture of distorted Christianity and, and a bit of science fiction uh, tossed in for good measure. Ultimately, as you're describing it, Dr. Buckner, it seems as if then the the core group to which the Nation of Islam's message seems to resonate are angry, uneducated and disenfranchised individuals. So if that be the case, then why would he be invited to come and speak at a prestigious location like the University of California at Berkeley College Campus?
2: Well, that's a very good question. I think there's many reasons for this. I think one of the uh, major reasons is that uh, (laughs) when you look at the background of uh, who's inviting Louis Farrakhan, it's the Black Student Union. And the Black Student Union, um, they have many people that's a part of that Black Student Union that are Muslims themselves, black Muslims themselves. And so they're weaving him in, and they are involved with, well, let me put it this way. This is a very important point, that the name of God today is not spelled G-O-D in a large segment of the black community. The name of God is spelled B-L-A-C-K, and that means black. And so the... Black community, and we see this from the Million Men March as well, is really was based around uh, black unity and black oneness and black uh, commonality. And so the Black Student Union is talking about these things that you mentioned, the self-determination, self-esteem, and they're saying to bring him in on all of that. But I can tell you this, that if we don't teach people Uh, self-esteem from a biblical standpoint, from the way that Jesus said. Because when you come to know Jesus, you learn about true self-worth and self-esteem and self-determination. Jesus said to deny yourself. Notice that, and take up your cross and follow me. When you put emphasis upon self-independent of Christ, it's doing more damage to people than good for people. So when you get these groups together like the Black student union and you get the african black coalition conference you got a lot of people that are involved with that are members of the nation of islam and when you see a breakdown of uh, you know essential doctrines among them and you also see universities that have become so liberal and uh, university of berkeley you can you cannot get a phd one time i was when i was working on my doctorate degree i had looked at the berkeley And you can't get a Ph.D. in theology, but you can get a Ph.D. in witchcraft. (laughs) And the reality is that if you can get a Ph.D. in that area, what's the difference between bringing in a Louis Farrakhan and getting a Ph.D. in witchcraft and teaching all the students there? So it's a breakdown of our universities, and they've become so liberal that everything is coming in, and then when somebody like a Louis Farrakhan comes in, and then you can bring in... Uh, Hindu leaders, you can bring in Buddhist leaders, and you bring in all these people, and people are saying, Well, you bring in these people, how come Louis Farrakhan can come in? So it's a breakdown of the universities, it's a breakdown of these black student unions, it's a b- even a breakdown of the churches, because it shouldn't be the Jews that are the number one leaders and that are at the university saying, We don't want Louis Farrakhan there. It should be the churches. And Walter Martin hit the proverbial theological nail up on the head when he said so profoundly, as my mentor, he said one time to us as a student, the cults are the unpaid bills of the church. Because the church has not paid their bills, uh, the cults have come in and paid them for them. And so when you think about the universities historically, many of them, you think about uh, Yale, you think about Harvard, uh, you think about Princeton, all these schools started with a Christian foundation. And even USC was started by a Methodist church. and so But they've gotten so far away from them. And one other note, uh, Craig, I was asked to come to Grambling University many years ago. The Southern Baptists had me go out there and do a lecture to the administration as well as the students. I was a keynote speaker. And some of the staff was crying out to me and saying, Dr. Butler, we've gotten so far away from the historic Christian faith in, at Grambling, that it's just pathetic. They were crying in front of me saying, we need to get back to this thing because the school is falling apart. And I would say those sentiments that they were saying to me is a sentiment for all of the schools. There's a breakdown of our, school, our churches, our schools. And, you know, Craig, when the church is not doing their job and there's a failure there, then there's a failure in the whole community and a failure nationwide.
1: If you've just joined our conversation, a visit today with Dr. Jerry Buckner. He is the host of Contending for the Faith, heard Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. here on KFAX. He is also a Bay Area apologist. We'll come back to more comments from Dr. Buckner and get some insights finally to the question as to, as this message resonates with the disenfranchised, why is it that educated people really don't see the real story behind the story of the Nation of Islam. All that and more as our conversation with Dr. Jerry Buckner continues on this edition of Lifeline.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Welcome back to The Conversation. If you've tuned in a bit late, we're visiting, of course, with a familiar voice here on KFAX. He is Dr. Jerry Buckner. He hosts the wildly popular Contending for the Faith broadcast, Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. Great destination point to tune in. He is one of the nation's leading Christian apologists and has been gracious enough to join us today to offer us some insights on Dr. Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. Dr. Buckner, before the break, you were articulating part of the understanding of the appeal, the attraction of the nation of Islam, is this notion that, number one, it's a bit of a hybrid of religion, so people that are thoroughly ignorant of the fundamental teachings of the Christian faith might easily or quite readily be be pulled into this vortex of his teaching because he will, quite liberally, quote from Scripture, almost leading you to believe that this guy knows, from a theological standpoint, what he's talking about. But then too, I have to wonder when you when you see statements like this. Here's a quote from Representative John Conyers of Michigan, member of the House of Representatives, defending Louis Farrakhan, saying, "quote I'm honored to join this distinguished leader who gives us hope and understanding to people all over the world of every color, of every religion, and of every political belief." Close quote. Now, if that be the case, why is it that we have quotes? from Louis Farrakhan, where he refers to Jewish people as devils and demons, uh, and and in every foul fashion, demonizes people of the Jewish faith. That hardly seems to be in harmony with the notion that he gives hope and understanding to people, quote, of every religion, close quote.
2: That is so true. Um, I think that what happens with so many people, Craig, is that uh, they are into their uh, positions uh... because people have put them there and it's kinda like a parallel to uh... pilot you know he gave in because he was a people's person you know and he didn't want to rock the boat and so he was a puppet by the people and because he was run more by the politics and of the day and and the red tape and so we got people who were educators and politicians and even people in churches today who don't want to rock the boat and dr walter martin said it so eloquently he says the church today suffers from an endemic disease known in the latin as "non rockabotus ecclesiasticus (laughs) and (laughs) that's a long word and that's translated in english to don't rock the boat and walter martin used to say i don't just want to rock the boat i want to sink it for jesus christ and that's the way i am as well being mentored under such a great mind but this is the thing that people are living. We're living in a day and age, as Paul talked about uh, to Timothy as a young minister in Second Timothy chapter right four. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers who will tickle their ears, and the truth of God shall be made into mythology. So we are living in a day and age where people don't want to lose their positions, like Pilate, Pontius Pilate. They don't, they don't want to rock the boat. They're tickling people's ears because they want to be re-voted again. And I think they lack not only uh, biblical uh, essentials, but they lack discernment, and they want black unity, and whatever that costs, they're going to do it. Because, like I said at the beginning of the show, in, the, in a large segment of the black community, and it's sad to say, I'm an African American myself, but it's sad to say, I've seen this, and it makes me almost puke that the name of God is B-L-A-C-K. And there is also a, uh, a black African-American Bible that's out now. I have it in my library, and it, put, it puts everybody in the Bible from Adam to John, you know, uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden, to John uh, in the book of Revelation. And even God and Jesus Christ is black, because we're moving more towards being involved with blackness, than, you know the Word of God, and that's just not only uh, makes a person sick, but then who really loves the Lord and loves the Word of God, but it uh, is something that we got to stand up against, Craig.
1: Right, and toward that end, help me understand something here. Given how readily available some of the outlandish remarks and comments that Farrakhan has made, not just at these so-called Savior Day events that he hosts annually, back. In Chicago, but amply across television. Any a microphone seems to be in front of him, he has something over the top to say, and the degree of of divisiveness and and the and the horrificness of the of the the uh, racially charged comments that he makes. It would seem to me, Dr. Buckner, that inviting somebody like Farrakhan out to speak at UC Berkeley would be like suggesting that we need to hire uh, David Duke, the former Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, to come out and and give a speech on race relations. Why does this seem to be so out of context or inappropriate?
2: Yes, it's it's a good point. Well, what has happened, Craig, is this, and I've followed uh, Louis Farrakhan closely. What he has done within the last, uh, I would say, uh, four or five years or so, especially after he had the prostate uh, cancer problem. Uh, he has uh, toned down a little bit, and he's become he's become more eclectic and syncretistic, where he realizes that the only way that I'm going to get into the black community is to become eclectic and syncretistic and to blend in. And so i got to tone down my rhetoric, my hateful rhetoric, So he comes in and he quotes some of the Bible to get black people excited, and then he plays on their emotions. But he's downplayed a lot of the things that he said in the past. And so he goes forth before people and a lot of people in churches, and uh, he starts to talking in an eclectic syncretistic way. And so they're buying into this, but really underneath it all, Farrakhan has not changed those historic views and those things he said he's just toning down because his game plan is to get into the black student union with ignorant black people to get into black churches with ignorant black people to get into the black community with ignorant black people he preys on ignorance and he goes into it with a soft tone involved in what he's doing because he knows that he has to be very careful now this is one of the reasons why before khalil abdul muhammad was uh... out of the movement of course he died of an aneurysm a while back But he shut down khalil abdul muhammad because of the fact that he felt that he was kind of like being more uh... too racist at what he was doing but khalil abdul muhammad was saying wait a minute now this is the way we've always been we've always been a strong at our uh, at our views of the white man and the jews But he was blown away because he sees that Farrakhan has changed because he's trying to tone down. It's not that he's changed where he's literally changed his views. He's just changed and toned it down because he wants to get into the segments of society to brainwash them to become members of the Nation of
1: Islam. And, and sadly, it seems as if, to the greatest degree, you, you've used Dr. Buckner the word ignorant several times. Uh, it seems to be that, to the greatest degree, the group of people um, to which he is uh, the most appealing are those who are biblically illiterate, who do not understand the fundamental teachings of Christianity. Uh, who are easily swayed by some of the the clever talk and the appearance, kind of the glossing over of what seems to be kind of, again, this hybrid of Islam and Christianity together, of which we know there can be no such thing. And as a result, even the likes of J. Alfred Smith uh, buys into all of this, suddenly seeming as if we're all on the same page page together, when in fact anything could be farther from the truth. Oh,
2: that's so true. It's so sad that uh, I know that Jeff Smith and... I have had some collisions in many other areas, but uh, some of the listeners may not know this, but they had a fun- they had they allowed the funeral of Yusuf Bey to take place at the Allen Temple Church, and I had uh, one of my friends had a chance to go there, and he reported back to me when he was there, and they had a picture of uh, Yusuf Bey on the wall and uh, giving him uh, respect and homage and saying he's a great leader, and this guy was just. A split image of Elijah Muhammad duplicating his his teaching, but also taking advantage of 13- and 12-year-old girls, impregnating them. And how in the world could you, a person, allow somebody like Yusuf Bey to come into, uh, to be uh, funeralized in his church and have pictures up of him, uh, praising him
1: for stuff that he did. Well, and here's a guy who who died while in prison on a felony conviction of, of multiple counts of child molestation. We know ultimately of what happened to uh, your Muslim bakery in Oakland and in Richmond, and the whole situation there imploding um, with uh, with the death of a well-known Bay Area reporter. And and in the end, Doctor Buckner, I'm reminded of a simple yet very profound. Um, a statement, and that is that light and darkness cannot dwell together. And there is a sad case of an attempt to try and make that happen.
2: Well, that's so true, and the Scriptures is very clear about that, Craig, and and, and Jesus uh, said, either you are for me or against me, and we got to stand either on Jesus' side or the side of the nation of Islam, because the nation of Islam is eclectic, as you said earlier, and they even uh, bring into their teaching some of the stuff of the Jehovah's Witnesses. But Jesus said, how can two uh, you know, uh, be together. Uh, you know, they cannot stand together. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And then Amos tells us in Amos three and three, uh, how can two walk together unless they agree? And then Paul makes it very clear in First Corinthians fifteen, bad company corrupts good morals. And the judgment of God upon the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, over and over and over, is when they compromise. And this is a real wake-up call that I want to say to churches that may be listening to this program tonight uh, that anytime we sell out like the children of Israel did to the uh, out-company people the people that were outside of the company of, of Israel and they started to worship their gods and they started to associate with them what it brought upon them was the judgment of God and so we dare not go there because if we do and we compromise and we sell out The judgment of God will come upon us just like it did the children of Israel.
1: Dr. Jerry Buckner, host of Contending for the Faith, is broadcast again Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We all, since 9-11, have become alarmingly aware of uh, what is going on in the Muslim world, particularly on the fundamentalist end of things. Um, And as much as we're concerned about the threat to America's safety and security, the American way of life, imagine what people living underneath the oppressiveness of Islam is like in the Middle East. Most difficultly, we have seen many of these stories of women who have been charged under Sharia law courts and have received multiple lashings, Uh, situations in countries in the Middle East where women are denied what we consider to be pedestrian of the basic human rights, the opportunity to uh, uh, drive a car, be involved in the elective process, even in some cases receive a basic education. The need, of course, ultimately, is to share the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ with these women. And joining me right now is a lady who's done just that, working with her husband as a missionary in the Middle East for almost a decade. Um, They, in fact, to this day, remain actively involved in reaching the unreached people in the Middle East and around the world, bringing the gospel to Muslim women. And Audra Shelby with us on the program tonight. Audra, thanks so much for taking time to join us.
3: Audra, uh, Craig, I'm delighted to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity.
1: You have written a book detailing your experience. Experiences behind the veils of Yemen. And, of course, we've heard some news in recent months here with Yemen once again back in the news. Uh, we hear at, at, at fleeting chances the opportunity for stories about life for people living behind the Islamic curtain, so to speak, particularly difficult so for women.
3: That's right, and I've been blessed with being able to tell my story and getting behind the veils and visiting and getting into the lives, sharing the lives of these women.
1: Tell us a bit about your experiences. Give us a bit of a perspective, if you would. When we hear stories about, well, in certain countries, women are not allowed to vote. Other places, they can't drive. Uh, Women are not allowed to be seen in the company of other men unless it's an immediate relative. Uh, Can't go to school. We think of the stories that came out of Afghanistan and the tail end of the regime of the Taliban. Are the levels of extremism, of the lack of rights that women have behind the Islamic curtain, behind the veil, uh, that severe?
3: It depends on the country and, and the area of the country. In Yemen, women did have the right to vote, and they were allowed to drive, but it all depended on permission of their husbands and support of their husbands. They were always subject to their husbands. Um, I had friends that were not allowed to go to the market or go out in, in the afternoons. They were required to stay indoors unless their husband gave them permission to leave. So you would I did not know of a woman that was publicly uh, p- punished, like you hear in Afghanistan or in some of the other countries, but I knew women that were beaten by their husbands and who could not uh, go out and visit other women because their husbands were too afraid they would run into a man.
1: And then this justified, based on Islamic teaching and Sharia law, but in reality, what, just a, a thin excuse for, for uh, male chauvinism uh, on, on steroids?
3: Possibly. I think we have to understand, too, that women, for a woman to go into paradise, a lot of it is based on how well she obeys her husband and how well she raises good Muslim sons. So it's more than just what her husband requires. It's what she feels like she must do in order to achieve paradise.
1: So there's a sense of religious duty behind a lot of this.
3: Yes, there is.
1: And for the average Islamic woman, uh, let's talk to your, your directly to your experience in, in Yemen. Give us a thumbnail sketch. What's what's life like for a woman?
3: Well, let me take you to a bride, okay, who's, who's very excited about the three days of her wedding. She's going to be feted and celebrated by the other women. ceremony will take place between her husband and her father. She does not attend the actual ceremony at the mosque. She is, for three days her hair is done and she's so excited and girls look forward to the day that they're going to leave their father's dominion and have a home and they dream of the love that they're going to get from their husbands they're full of romantic dreams now let's flash forward a year later and see the same girl and who has no dreams in her eyes and i tell about this in behind the veils of yemen meeting a girl who was just, you could see she'd become so disillusioned and so unhappy a year later, realizing she'd only left her father's dominion her husband's Well, talk
1: about a stark contrast against the, the Western ideal where women are involved in planning every detail uh, of the wedding and the ceremony and uh, the experience, uh, you know, that everyone will enjoy there at the wedding and, of course, the following reception. And, and you're telling me in some Islamic countries the women are not even invited to their own wedding.
3: <laughs> well, it's it's a very different scenario. The women have these big parties where they get together for about three days. There's three days generally. Um, and each day, the, the bride wears a different color. And then the third day, the white day, she wears a white wedding gown, just like you would find here. And she has this big party, and the women are all treating her like a princess. She sits on a special chair, like a throne. And then after the actual wedding ceremony takes place between her husband and or her future groom and her father, then the, because the men are all partying separately, the, her husband and the men come in this great convoy of honking horns, and they come to pick up the bride and take her to her new home, to her husband's home, um, a lot of times with his family. And that's how her married life begins.
1: And so it begins with uh, great excitement and anticipation, and and sadly sounds like after a while it ends up being uh, as an oppressive atmosphere uh, at home with her new husband as maybe she had to deal with at home with her parents.
3: Yes, yes, and a lot of times I think that's the way it worked works out in what I've seen among the women.
1: Let's pause for a moment. We'll come back to our conversation. Audra Shelby with us today. She's author of Behind the Veils of Yemen, How an American Woman Risked Her Life, Family, and Faith to Bring Jesus to Muslim Women. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues.